We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is like your relationship with fear? I hate fear. Whether it's walking out to the octagon, or it's jumping out of helicopters, or it's diving on mixed gases down into a Nazi U-boat in Norway. I have beaten that to death. I am here with the winner, Tim Kennedy. Special Forces sniper and UFC fighter. Ranger, sniper, MMA fighter. Guy invited Al-Qaeda, ISIS to come try to kill him at his house. It feels like you've lived maybe between four and five lifetimes to fit everything in. My dad was part of a joint task force. They effectively stole a plane full of cocaine from Pablo Escobar. Were you aware of anything that was happening? This is the world that I knew. Like we had a red phone in the closet that when we answered, we'd be speaking Spanish, you know, and, and we'd always have a cover story to cover for my father. It was wild. That was normal. I think the story of your dad I wanted to start with. I just came in from Medellin, Colombia, and I thought the Escobar story was very telling around, kind of shaping around who you are today. It seems like your dad had a big influence on the man that you are today, the experiences that you went through, even getting into martial arts. So for people that don't know or haven't read the book, yeah. yet, um, talk to me a little bit about what your dad did before. Yeah, he's a psychopath. Um, you know, the, <laughs> During there the, <laughs> it's hard in current in 2023 mind to think about what the word on drugs was unless you compare it to the global war on terror. Mm. So for 20 years in in our generation, we fought terrorism in Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and North Africa and all over the world. Um, that is what they were doing for fighting drug cartels in the 80s and early 90s. Right. Um, there was. Uh, a massive budget with countless organizations, federal, local, um, with joint, a combination of military and federal. And this war was in response to specifically the Colombian cartels. Um, it's way different now. It's much more deorganized and decentralized with about, I don't know, 200 violent extremist organizations and cartels that are operating internationally. But back yeah. then there were like four. Mm. And um, one of them was founded by Pablo Escobar. Um, he was the man. And uh, and I'm sure you heard while you're in Medellin that the city is built off of him. Right. There's not anyone that has money that didn't get money because of him. There wasn't an industry that ex that exists now that... Um, wasn't founded off some form of Medellin money. And that Medellin money was all coming from Pablo Escobar. My dad was part of a joint task force and um, they did, this is long before Fast and Furious, they set up a buy where they bought a plane full of drugs um, without all money exchanging hands because sometimes the 
manufacturer of cocaine would front the product so that this intermediary, the the middleman could then distribute it where he would get paid and then he would pay back to the actual manufacturer, which was Pablo. So you had this window of time that you would get drugs without having to pay for it. So they effectively stole a plane full of cocaine from Pablo Escobar, two pallets. And, um, you know, they met in the Caribbean. They took this plane and then flew it back to the United States and um, specifically to the West Coast. And I, it was wild. I think I was maybe 10. You didn't, were you aware of anything that was happening? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like my dad would come home with, you know, Porsches and Lamborghinis, you know, and there'd be times where I wouldn't see him for like weeks or months at a time. And, you know, he'd be wearing like these he'd come home with like this gross beard and like this ratty wife beater shirt that was stained and had vomit and alcohol over it. You know, just like reeked like a homeless person. He's undercover, you know, and he'd get walk in the door, throw those clothes in the trash and go straight to the shower. And then he'd come out as the dad that I knew. Um, This is also in the eighties and it's, it's hard uh, to, things were different in the eighties child. I was, yeah, I see, I see where you're going, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Child I, rearing was different. Uh-huh. Discipline was different. The yeah. interactions between fathers and their children yeah. were different. Listen, I've been hit as a kid. I mean, I grew up in Korea as well. So yeah. I think things were a little bit behind there. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I see what you mean. I yeah. see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then having a dad that had a very, very hard, stressful job, you know, like that, um, he absolutely loved us. It was just a different world then. You know, you mm. can't judge um through the lens of today and what it was like then, sure. you know, just like I can't judge my grandma for getting married so young to a man that, you know, like it's yeah, a different era. Totally different. Um, and uh, this is the world that I knew, you know, like we had a red phone in the closet that when we answer would be speaking Spanish, you know, and, and we'd always have a cover story to cover for my father. So you, you knew know? Spanish from that early We age knew enough as, cause my dad's up. a white guy, right, right, you know, right. so like it would be expected that if he is in this world, his kids would like at least know street language, mm. you know, and being in California, there, there should be a, to a degree of like, Hey, where's your dad at in right. Spanish? You better be able to answer like, right. don't that to Papa, yeah. you know? Um, so by the time we get to me walking into a warehouse with two pallets full of cocaine and 10 dudes, giant guys standing there with HK MP5 machine guns that are suppressed. And we just went to Madonna Inn, which is a really famous um, hotel in California, but they also have really great pies. My mom (laughs) took us there to get pies to bring them to to the cops that were guarding this cocaine. They then took this cocaine and distributed it to all of the West Coast drug dealers. And then in one big swoop, they arrested all of them um, as they went to go to sell it. So they got it for, they got them for distribution. They got it for sales. They got it for for possession for sales, like a bunch of great laws to catch somebody on. They didn't lose a single gram of cocaine, Wow. you know, Um, unlike Fast and Furious where a bunch of cops got killed by the guns that they (laughs) sold. Amateurs, yeah. Amateur hour, not my dad, you know. Um, But it was, you know, it was a wild world, you know, like- warehouses with Lamborghinis and Porsches and machine guns and cocaine and, and, you know, briefcases full of millions of dollars, you know, like by by 10, I knew exactly that a, you could get $10,000 inside of a snack Ziploc bag and that you could put $4,000 inside of a sandwich Ziploc bag and that you could get 
almost $100,000 inside of the one gallon Ziploc bag and that you could put $1 million into a backpack. Like these were things that I'm not supposed to know. Right, right. A million dollars back in those days too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Different times, yeah. Yeah. It was wild. That was normal. Wow. And do you, when you, as you were growing up, did you have those conversations with your dad and and were like, wow, like these were wild times or did you have like insights and lessons? Oh, you know, because like, the first chapter of my book, The Creek Gang, um, myself, David Gaddis, Andrew Hackleman, and my brother, Nick, mm. um, a guy had escaped from the Atascadero Mental Hospital. Yeah, um, They actually filmed the movie Terminator 2 there. It was like a Pescadero hospital oh, really? where Sarah Connor escaped. Um, that's that, where there was? Yeah, that's where it was. That was the, the mental hospital. And that's where they only housed violent mental health felons. And um, a guy escaped from there. What do do a bunch of kids in elementary school do? They go and get spears. They sharpen them and fashion them into weapons. And we go and patrol the creek going from the mental health hospital. Yeah. And we find him. We've, we've, this, this, this is the world like 13. Oh no, no. I am nine. Oh my God. You know, and uh, coming across this guy that, is absolutely out of his mind. Uh, a guy that just escaped from a felon prison, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And uh, so awesome. This is this is That's normal. just the way you were. Yeah. yeah. Dad being like, hey, there's a yellow Camaro inside of this parking garage. Um, I don't have a warrant, but I want to know who owns it. Nick, Tim, me and my brother. Can you guys go in there and um, get inside of it? If it's, if it's locked, you can figure it out. You know, um, I just need a... I need to know the name and address of, of who owns that vehicle. Oh my God. This is to like a seven, eight, nine year old. Yeah. And, these, and this was normal. Yeah. So um, I didn't know what normal was then. And it was, it was, uh, I didn't realize how extraordinary this world was until then. I was in just batshit crazy world mm. and I have kids. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is wild. So it's when you had kids that you realize how crazy your childhood was. Yeah. Until then, you were just like, nope. Yeah. Full, full mile, like, yeah, whatever. full send, full send, launch this. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I think this, this, this is kind of where that mentality that you talk about comes from, which is the hurry up and fail mindset. I think one of the examples that you talk about in the book is you swimming across the ocean because you just had uh, what two two girls that. A, ba- a bad week. Bad week. Had. <laughs> right. It's a week. It's, we're not talking about a year this has yeah. happened. So talk, talk, to, talk to us a little bit about what those experiences were and what the hurry up and fail mindset was and how that can benefit other people. Yeah. The um, I, People do conflate that I'm suggesting, I'm encouraging you to fail, which I'm not. Um, but it's that adage of you know, you're never going to know if you're going to hit a home run unless you step in the batter's box. You know, like Michael Jordan wouldn't have been the best had he not taken those shots. Yeah, we know how many times he missed. You know, like there's a million examples of the guy that ultimately it's the man in the arena. Yep. And the man in the arena, when you boil that down, it is somebody that is willing to take the risk and take the own the ownership on them their, themselves. Not like Atlas, they're they're taking everything on their shoulders, but they're mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, man, I'm going to put myself out there, sure. and I'm going to I'm going to try." And it's this um, it's this belief that through that attempt, through even if I do everything that I possibly can to succeed, 
I may not succeed. Like I want to be the strongest, freakish human on the planet. But when I go to exercise, like I did this morning, I reached failure. Mm. You know, we were doing this workout called the Mastodon and it's horrific. Like it's terrible. And I'm not going to walk right tomorrow. I've already iced twice. And, uh, without that failure, my legs would not be stronger tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'm pushing my legs to a point of failure. I think it it's similar with mental resilience and mental strength. And I think it's similar with as somebody habitually making a choice to become a quitter. And you, you see this with so many people as their, their lives hit this crossroad. And at this intersection, they have an easy route or they have a hard choice mm. and they sometimes take the easy route instead of the hard route and um doing it once i get but it becomes a habit after a while and then they live the most disappointing life and i look back to a lot of my friends where i grew up and you know they had and i i saw them they had they had dreams and i, I you know i was, remember us journaling about what we were going to be yeah. and they're still there um what was in your dream list my dream list, there's a picture. I was going to North County Christian School, and I drew a picture of a guy wearing a black belt jumping out of a plane wearing camouflage. So you pretty much did it. <laughs> I, that's what I said I was going to be. Right, and you did it. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much like. <laughs> pretty much did it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that, that, I don't know what that was to a, a four year old's brain. Sure. You know, like, obviously I'm a martial artist with a black belt and obviously I'm in the military with a camo and I'm jumping out of an airplane. Like, like, did I know that I was going to go on to be a UFC fighter, you know, fighting for world titles and then I was going to be in the most elite special operations units. No, like I didn't understand those things. There yeah. wasn't even a UFC and I didn't even know that there was, you know, special missions unit and the SIF and special forces and the green berets. I didn't sure. know any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the idea was still there. It's crazy that you envisioned that at four years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so hurry up and fail. It's realizing that even through failure, it's an opportunity for you to grow and become stronger. Mm. That's what, it. When I when I heard about that, and you talk about people that don't get to do the things that they want to do and don't realize their dreams, I almost think about it on the other side of people that are having difficult lives, people that are struggling right now. It's kind of like boil the frog, right? So if you put the frog in lukewarm water and you slowly start to boil it, it takes a while for them to realize. Some some frogs die. Versus if you were to boil the water and then put it in, it's jumping right out. Yeah, immediately. And I think some people don't realize they're in that situation when they're not taking risks or they're taking their time. And I think the advice that you're giving is when you're able to take those things head on and take those risks, you realize quickly that it's not the path that you want to go on. And yeah. when you look at, when I think about your book, it's, a lot of it is failure, second chances, and lessons. And a lot of people don't even get to that first part because they don't take those risks head on it's um it's hard because everything can be so easy now right you know like we can have food delivered you know and i can um minimum wage is higher than it's ever been yeah yeah F inflation's insane thank mm. you biden biden economics but it's it's easy now to be fat mm. it's easy to be lazy it's easy to be entitled it's easy to have existence mm. it is hard to be extraordinary it's hard to be exceptional. It's hard to be a savage. You know, it's hard to build a business. It's hard to be a father. It's hard to be a faithful husband. It's like, th those are all choices. And, and I argue that, you know, we're not, it's not like these monument, 
monumentous moments that I'm like, oh, I have this choice. I can become Superman or I can like, you know, live a life of, of uselessness. It's not. It's like millions of little tiny decisions right. that we're over time, cumulatively, collectively, that are starting to shape the direction of our lives. Mm. And that's, uh, that's, that's even harder, you know, but how do you eat an elephant? So one bite at a time, right? So we really just have to look at the first decision in front of me. Like, did I ask for a Coke? Did not. No, I asked for a glass of water. Mm. Um, you know, we were like, hey, can I schedule this meeting? I'm like, can you do it in my office? Mm. It would save me 90 minutes in the day for me to be have a, an additional 90 minutes of hopefully effectiveness and yep. efficiency of my of me being a contributing member of the team. You're like, those are all little decisions. And um, I didn't know you, like making sure that I had a round in the chamber before I walked in to say, <laughs> hey, as I was walking to a sketch building in the back right. of a park, parking lot. Yeah. You know, so like lots of little decisions. So for, for someone that is maybe just starting out, right? So they call this like the, the soft generation. So when someone is trying to make those little decisions, like how, how granular are you making? Is it like making your bed? You know, wh where are the decisions? Like is every little thing the, the, the small things that really matter? Or if you were to pick like three core things that someone can do to toughen up, no. to be mentally strong, nope. that's not the way you would approach it. It's not, it. it's all the things. It's how yeah. you do anything is how you do everything, mm. right? If, if I'm if I'm not intentional in the gym, am I gonna be intentional in my marriage? If I'm not being intentional as a lover or as a, as a husband, am I being a intentional disciplined father? You know, if I'm not making the conscious decision to be present, like I have a heart out yeah. because I have one more call that I have to do and I'm taking my son to hockey tonight. Mm. It's his first day on his new traveling team. I'm nice. not gonna miss it for the world. Yeah. If you're like, hey man, I got $10 million. I was like fucking set on fire. I don't give a fuck. Mm. Cause I know that my priorities and I, how I do anything is how I do everything. So with the same intentionality that I had my workout is the same intentionality that I had taking my wife to lunch today. Same thing that I took into my meetings today. The same thing I had to do with my C-suite talking to the board about how we're going to build this next, you know, five-year plan. Yeah. And, or I should have had a donut after my workout today, you know, with a cup of coffee with a little bit of cream. Sure. And, um, and then tonight, you know, I was, I was going to have some elk tacos, but instead, I'm just going to pick up some McDonald's on the way home, you know, and like the kids, we're going to have McDonald's before my son goes to. So it's so clear, right? Like yeah. it's so obvious when you lay it on an AB sample, sure. how dramatically they are, how different they are. Now, do you have to be perfect? No. But should you get up and make your bed? Yes. You know, General Mattis, he was asked, what's the most important thing that he does in a day? General Mattis, like former secretary of defense, right? Like one, one of the, I think most brilliant military leaders in, in my generation, at least. He says, I get up and I make, make my bed. And for him, it was a conscious choice that he's going to do the first right thing. Mm. And then is he gonna have a sugary cereal or is he gonna have some egg whites? No, he's gonna have like some scrambled eggs. And is he gonna immediately pick, his, pick, pick up his phone and start like farting around on social media? No, he's gonna take a moment, not meditation, but like whatever you can call it, of that solace so that he can focus on what is the next important thing he needs to do throughout the day. That's the first three minutes of his morning. And he's already on like the momentum and trajectory for him to be an effective leader for the rest of the day. Yeah. Significantly different, you know, one, one pattern that I see, and this is something that I've certainly dealt with is you get into a big momentum, whether it's a habit that you're trying to build or a certain regiment and you have a day off, right? You have a day where you're just not feeling it. 
And what a lot of people do is then they allow themselves to miss another habit. They allow themselves not to be disciplined in every other patterns. So I'm assuming like not every day is perfect, right? Some days you just don't feel like doing certain things. How do you get back on track? Do you just not even think about it? The feeling has nothing to do with it. Mm. I, I, I argue that 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 feeling, that inspiration, that muse um, is false and it's waning and it's it's such a finite amount of time. I argue for intentionality, discipline, regiment, and habit. Those things are long lasting. So like, do I feel like having a donut this morning after my workout? Absolutely I did. Hmm. You know, I wanted an apple fritter. I was with my wife. I don't get to have that like 20, 30 minutes post-workout. Like, can we go get a cup of coffee and like hang out for a minute? Yeah. Um, that's what I wanted to do. That was the feeling. But instead I had habit and I had mm. discipline and I had regiment. You know, like behind you, you have extreme ownership right there by Jocko Willink. Yeah. And um, you know, he he sums it up very, very succinctly in saying that that motivation, that inspiration is absolutely fake. And it will only last for this tiny little finite of time. But habit and discipline are the things that will take you in the long run. Mm. So in those days that you don't feel like doing it, that's all right. Neither did I, neither do I, but we're going to lean into the habits that we're building and the discipline that we've made and the regiment that I've, that I've dedicated my life to the code yeah. and the honor that I'm living by. And man, then feeling's just a thing. Right. It's almost, you've built an identity. You are the type of person that makes their bed. You are the type of person that works out. You are a fit person rather than relying on your emotions. You're yeah. saying separating those two. The girl that checked us in, is your wife? Uh, girlfriend. Girlfriend. She's beautiful. Um, could I look at her and be like, man, she's beautiful. Or can I be like, I'm a married man, father of four, acknowledged man, beautiful girlfriend. Way different than like, mm. hey, that's a beautiful girlfriend. Right. The feeling is like, wow, that's a beautiful girl. But the discipline and the habit and the regiment is commitment mm. and monogamy. So like how I do anything is how you do everything. Right. And right. am I perfect? Absolutely not. Yeah. Do I fail all the time? A hundred percent I do. You know, but there are conscious choices that go into every area of your life. And like you can't be cheating on your your significant other and then think that you're gonna be a good faithful businessman or a right. good faithful financial partner. It transfers yourself. A hundred percent. It's who you business. are. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm a violent, abusive father, but then I'm going to go and be a good coach on the mats. Mm. You know, I'm going to be an asshole on the on the on the mats to my students. Yeah, but then I'm going to walk into my business and be like a great colleague. Mm. No, right? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Like the idea of being a good man, uh, a dangerous man. Some would say. You know, there, there's a saying where it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And it seems like you're certainly the former. So what is the difference between that and the current stage uh, you know, for most men today? Is it the fact that they're just not mentally and physically disciplined? We just had it so easy. Hmm. It's just been such a lovely period where such a tiny little group of people had to do the fighting. You know, we have, we're living in an era of prosperity that like we've never seen in the world. Yeah. Um, we're living in, a, in an era of comfort with technology, making everything so simple that we've never experienced in our lives. Mm. And uh, we've made 
we've made it so easy to make money in so many different ways that this prosperity is so accessible. Like the American dream, regardless of how like we're currently struggling, I think in financial times in a, in a pseudo de depression, but it's so accessible. And because of that, we haven't had to be hard. We haven't had to make hard decisions. Um, we haven't had to have calloused hands and, you know, it hasn't been a necessary element of most people's lives. Yeah. Um, how are you going to be hard? How are you going to rise to the occasion um, if you aren't doing the training to get you there? And how in every form, not just like military. I know that sounds very militaristic. Sure. Like if I'm going to be a good boss, a good husband, a good father, a good coach, um, if I'm not being diligent and doing the heavy lifting and all of the work intellectually and physically, then like, how am I going to ever reach this goal, this vision, this mission of what I want to be, you know, that mm. guy jumping out of the airplane, wearing a black belt and a camo shirt. Yeah. Like I knew from where I was to where I wanted to go was I had to be hard. And I took the hardest route possible because I had to be mentally tough and mm. I had to be physically tough. And I, and it's terrible. Yep. But it's the most rewarding life that you could live. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is a non-negotiable for you to get there mentally on a daily basis? Um, working out. Which does both. Yep. Right. Um, that is something that is in my control, and I do it in a horrific, terrible way. And I'm self-selecting to do what might be the hardest thing of the whole entire day. Okay. And I have volunteered myself to do the hardest thing that's going to happen to me in a day. So when I have to deal with something else, I'm like, <laughs> mm. this isn't that bad. Right. Um, diet. If I'm traveling, I just won't eat, you know, like instead of eating crap food, I just won't eat. Starve. Yeah. Yeah. But I can still, as I'm waiting for boarding to happen on my plane, go knock out 200 burpees. You know, like I will get that in. Yeah. Um, and because I choose that thing every single day, you know, like even as I'm traveling and I have blocks of days broken down by 15 minutes, the team knows they will give me 75 minutes of 60 minutes of Tim trying to kill himself and then 10 minutes of stopping sweating and then five minutes to get dressed to then yeah. go to the first thing. Right, right. Is there something to working out in the morning that gives you a better benefit because you've tackled the hardest thing that you're doing during that day and allows you to be more calm, to be mentally stronger throughout I, the rest I of the day? I prefer it in the morning. Yeah. But there's also something where, man, if I have like a 16-hour day, I was on the range for eight hours. I taught like a fighting, grappling, wrestling class. Yeah. Um, Tuesday, great example. Um, what day is today? Thursday. Today's Thursday, yeah. So two days ago, 48 hours ago, I'm with Jason Kalipa, multi-time CrossFit world champion. Mm. He is the fittest man in the world, multi-years in a row. And um, 
wake up, make my kids breakfast, go and teach a wrestling class with a bunch of world champions, um, judo world champions, jujitsu world champions, grappling ADC world champions, national wrestling champs. And I'm a middle-aged man in there with 23 year old kids trying to hang. Um, that's morning. Then go to the range for four hours, shoot for four hours, come back and film content for two, three hours with Jason about partnership stuff that we're doing. Now it's the end of the day and Jason and I are sitting there like, let's do this. And then we have to choose to do a real workout. <laughs> so then at the afternoon, the peak heat of the day, yeah. we go and do 15 burpees every minute, 15 calories on the rower every minute, and then 15 floor to overhead snatches, 45 pounds every minute on the minute. Why? Because it was like the clearest example of you have a choice. Mm. We can go ice. We can go lay in the pool, right? We, but what we had was 45 minutes before the kids got home. And you chose the I hardest chose the hardest possible chosen. thing to do. So when my kids walked in and I'm just drenched in sweat, I mean, it looked like the sweat angel on the ground, you know, like <laughs> yeah. did somebody just piss all over the floor in this gym? Right. No, that was just Jason and I, yeah. you know, they're like, Hey dad. I'm like, what up dude? Right, you know, yeah. and, up, and proud. Sure. Like I don't have to tell him what I just did, mm. you know, but he knows yeah. he yeah. sees she's like a little three-year-old that she just runs right up to me with my hairy sweaty arms. Doesn't care. doesn't hesitate a second. Right. The princess jumps into the King's arms, you know, mm. you're leading by example. That's the way yeah. to do it. Right. That's right. When you're doing these things, I'm curious to know, you know, with the, with the transition from you to fighting, what is like your relationship with fear and has it changed over time? Um, man, I, uh, I hate fear. The two things I hate the most helplessness and fear, the feelings of those things. Yeah. And, um, I need Huberman here cause I would love to figure this out, but whatever the portion of that brain is that hormonally responds to fear where it starts producing cortisol and adrenaline and all those things. Mm -hmm. um, I have beaten that motherfucker to death, whether it's walking out to the octagon or it's jumping out of helicopters or it's diving on mixed gases down into a Nazi U-boat in Norway, whether it's running into a bunch of dudes with SS tattoos on their neck and be like, Hey, I'm trying to send you guys to jail for the rest of your lives and take all of your assets. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I wanted that. Yeah. And I have been, um, there's nothing, there's nothing I'm more scared of than the feeling of hopelessness, hmm. uh, helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I have a very intimate relationship with fear and helplessness. How do you, do you use it in a positive way? Like uh, one example I'm thinking about is GSP, uh, George St. Pierre. He talks about his relationship with fear. And he talks about the the moments that he, th there was one fight where he slept beautifully and he didn't have any fear and he got knocked out by my Sarah. And he talks about the idea of using fear to his advantage. And I don't know if this applies to every aspect of life, maybe fighting is a certain art, but I'm wondering for you, as your relationship with fear has matured, what is, how have you leveraged it because it's not something that you just can numb it away, right? You're going to yeah. feel fear. It just it can help you in some sense. Like we've we've survived that. Yeah, um, I'm like the opposite of GSP in that regard, right? Where the only times I felt it 
you know, the anxiety as I'm fighting for a world title, um, all my other fights, Leo Korolinski, I was fighting for the International Fight League. Great organization, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Super fun. Old school. <laughs> yeah, real old school. Um, he called me. I had just gotten back from an overseas mission. And um, he's like, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Tim. I'm like, hey, this is him. He's like, I own uh, the Chicago Red Bears. It's a team for the International Fight League. And, um, and we need a fighter. Our middleweight just fell out. Uh, it's this weekend. Can you make weight? I'm like, ooh, you know, maybe. Uh, and, you know, this is on Wednesday. And I'd be fighting on, s- on Saturday night. So I'd have to fly out effectively tomorrow to, to do the press conference the day before, the weigh-ins the day before the fights, and then the fight. I was like, yeah. yeah, sure. So I get clearance from my boss in the military to go and leave. I fly to Chicago. And the whole entire time, Leo and all the other fighters, you know, they're like anxious and like they could, you could just smell the the excitement and, and the fear. Yeah. Um, and they were definitely like GSP using that and feeding it. Um, I was just like, hey, man, what's up? You know, and we're in the back as everybody's warming up. I'm, I'm trying to like get my, my sweat on. And then he's like, and he was really, really concerned that there was something wrong with me, yeah. you know, and he gets paid when they win. So, right. um, he double re- motivation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was like really not understanding like what's wrong with me. And I walk out and, um, nobody had any idea who I was and I'm fighting this black belt from, from Henzo Gracie. And I pick this dude up, I put him on his ear and I knock him out a few seconds later and I walk in the back in the exact same mood and the exact same um, attitude with the exact same disposition. And he's just like, what is wrong with you? Which was way different than how I acted the night of my title fight where I was like, you know, like I looked like all of those other guys, all of my other fights. I've always just been, and you can go back stoic, you know, like this is a Tuesday night to me. Mm. I'm not getting blown up. I'm not getting shot at. This is just a fight. For you, that transition is, yeah. Yeah. Nobody has gone through that. It's just a fight. Yeah. Um, I, Brian Stan has, um, maybe Colton Smith. Yeah, there, there's a small little group of guys that that have had both have lived in both worlds, you know. And I'm not mm-hmm. diminishing walk, you know, fighting. Fighting's a ton of fun. Yeah, and it's exciting and it's real, and you get knocked out or choked out. Yeah, but it's different than You're not like gonna die. Yeah, I got I just got blown up and everybody in the vehicle died. Right, you know, it's right different things. Yeah. So so fear then it, it, are you saying that it's the opposite? of JSP where, I mean, but it must be different when you're out in the war field, right? Like, do you use fear in that survival instinct? I recognize it as a thing that is going to happen physiologically. And I combat it with training. Hmm. I more use what I know fear could be as a detriment, as a motivation to ensuring that I have done everything possible to be perfect hmm. going into that situation. And um, so when the round snaps by your head or you get hit for the first time in a fight, I'm like, yeah, I prep for this. Hmm. You know? It's the training that allows you to feel the fear, but not let it change any actions. Yeah, not control doing. me. Right. I've used it in, to motivate me to train harder, but in the moment it is not going to debilitate me because I've wanted it Yeah, and I've sought it. And I have volunteered to put myself into it. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting the way you put it because a lot of people talk about techniques of what happens when you feel the fear. But what you're saying is it's not about like when you feel the fear, 
all of the work that allows you to actually handle the fear should have been done 100% every day of your life. That's it beforehand. exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, but you know it's true. It is. You know, the um, not going to rise to the occasion, but rather uh, fall to your level of training. Mm. So if you think that you're just going to like transform, there's going to be this metamorphosis that you're going to like see the most scariest thing in front of you in the most frightening moment of your life. And all of a sudden you're going to like turn into, you know, the Hulk. It's not the way it works. Mm. You've either done the training to, to be ready for that or you haven't. So if I'm not falling to my level of training, if my training is up to the, what that moment could be. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of this relates to the people that you're also around with, right? You talked about the people that you're training with, the people that you're in business with. Uh, I would imagine for a guy like you, it's kind of hard to find people that are up to the caliber that you have in all of these different aspects. So my guess is your circle is pretty small. Yeah, small circle. What are the questions that you ask to help you filter out those people that other people can use? Maybe it's not to the same level, yeah. but I think a lot of people surround themselves with toxic people, people that make themselves feel bad or they're not actually good for them. And you seem to do a very good job of that. Man, I messed up that one a lot. You did, which is why I think you're the perfect person to give this kind of advice to. Yeah. Yeah. You are who you surround yourself with. And um, it's not like I'm doing interviews if you're allowed to be in my circle, right? Uh, but when you know a purpose and you're living by a code, that will nat naturally, sp specific people that are like-minded there'll be a gravity where you guys will just be naturally connecting. Mm. And, um, and then within that natural connection, you being able to be judicious and responsible to make sure that, you know, like our visions are aligned, you know, that we're really serving the same purpose and mission. And then um, all the other stuff, like the, 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 the business competence and um, the, the intellect to be able to hang with the the volume of work that we do, yeah. that becomes really self-evident pretty mm. quickly. Yeah. Um, and then you find, you know, I, I would say maybe I have four or five people in my inner circle that are, that I consider friends. And then I have the next group, which are like people that I'm partnered with and, and I'm equally picky who those people are, mm. you know, that I have the next group, which is who I'm socially with, um, which are not friends, but, I know them and yeah. I'm social to them. Um, but do they get to know my business? No. Do they get to know me? Absolutely not. Mm. Do they get to know my family? Without a doubt, never. Mm. It's like they're, and, and these, these aren't like hard lines. Yeah. It's culturally different too, yeah. right? Like Latin America, it certainly might be different than here. Yeah. Um, now talk to me about the inner, inner circle, right? People talk about you know, obviously getting married to the right person is probably the most important decision that you can ever make. Yeah. And you're a very unique person in that aspect where you're just, you're nose to the grind, achieving at a highest level. What do you, what would you look for? For, you know, for, if you're giving advice for people that are type A players that are trying to reach their full potential and they're trying to look for partners that can complement them, that can help them get there. Talk to me a little bit about that. If you're comfortable sharing yeah, that absolutely. relationship with, with um, I also hate the word partner. Okay. The um, okay. yeah, the my wife's not my partner. My wife's my wife. Hmm. She is uh, brilliant. She is uh, has a business mind and uh, proclivity to math that is like 
so beautiful and wild. You know, the way that she can manipulate financial spreadsheets across a dozen companies blows every CPA and financial accountant and um, financial lawyer that we have. And she's like, um, but she's still not my partner. She's my wife, you know? And, um, and similarly, you know, like, I might be the president of our companies and, you know, she and I might own this 50%, you know, depending on the company and whether it should be a female owned or a veteran, you know, owned. And as we manipulate the stupid IRS system, (laughs) she would never say I'm her partner. I'm her husband. Right. And, um, and with that, there is some gravitas of, um, responsibility. Hmm. And very different. You know, like we're we're built beautifully different. And uh, we definitely play. I have my own liabilities and my own assets as she does her own liabilities and her own assets. So we try to, to answer your question, when you're looking for that husband or wife, that significant other that you're going to be spending the rest of your life with, they have to be your best friend. Like you have to be able to want to get absolutely fucking weird with them in bed because like if that if if there's right. like that magic and romance isn't there um i think you could sense like today going to get coffee with her like that was the best moment of my day mm. the um, way you even talked about it i saw your eyes light yeah. up and you're like wow like you felt 18 years free. this month you know wow, and um and it will, it'll be 48, you know, like hopefully it will make 50, but I've lived a, a very reckless life with my body. <laughs> She'll live to like 150. We'll, we'll, we'll see how I do. Sure. Um, you're looking for that best friend that you can spend silence in, silence with, that you can just be with that person comfortably. But then every single one of, because she compliments me and I have my own failures and my own liabilities, I'm not a piece of Swiss cheese that she's trying to plug holes in. Mm. Her assets complement mine. She doesn't fill my holes. I'm not like a broken thing that she's trying to mend. I am a strong, powerful, dangerous human that would be strong and powerful and dangerous without her. But with her, I'm unstoppable. Mm. Um, when I come home after you know that Tuesday where I worked a 20-hour day and I was on the range and I did two horrible workouts and um, still walked in and had an amazing intimate night with her and, you know, read the books to the babies and put them to bed and, um, be a monster that will hold the door for her. Not that she needs it. Right. You know, that will stand up when she leaves, not because she expects it because she deserves it. Not because I'm like this annotated old school thing, but because she's the most incredible thing that deserves everybody in the room to know that she is the most important thing to me. Mm. You know, it's a statement. It's a, it's a proclamation that, She's better than all of you. Right. And that's part of your identity. 100%. It's, it's not about doing the thing to make yourself look a certain way. It's who you are yeah. as a person. Um, the book is called, is it Scars and Stripes or that's Stripes right. and Scars? Scars and Stripes. Scars and Stripes. I okay. talked about the scars that you have, and I think all of us have scars. Mental health is obviously a big topic. And I've, I'm very close to this uh, in that like my uncommitted suicide mm, and it, it, it's it has been a while, but it is certainly a topic that I talk a lot about where people have traumas. And I think the almost the easier route, I guess, for those people that are going through it, not that I'm aware of it or understand what it actually feels like, is to, to take their lives or to not really do anything about it. Um, and I think about the scars that you must have had and the, and the traumas and the experiences and here you are today thriving 
and the man that you are today, what would your advice be for people to go through that just from your own experiences? Because yeah. you have scars. Yeah, I mean, you read this book, you're like, dude, this guy, you know, like, yeah. could women and children when a terrorist bunkered himself with them as hostages? Like, I carry that. Um, you know, failing in every measurable way in every area of my life. Um, having the survivor's guilt of former teammates that are dead, that I wasn't with them when they died. And had I been there, maybe it would be different. You know, like that, these are the things that I carry. Um, but how you do anything is how you do everything. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That moment of crisis where you're going to choose to make a permanent solution to a temporary problem, how far you fall into crisis is really determined by millions of little decisions leading up to that. Like, could I go into crisis tonight? Could I think back and have a flashback of like why I wasn't there when Gobel got killed? Teammate Mike that went to Afghanistan with, um, he died in Afghanistan a few tours later when I wasn't there. Um, he saved my life. He pushed me away from a door when it got shredded by machine gun fire. No idea how he knew that was going to happen, but he did. And like, why don't I reach that darkest depths of the ocean where I can't overcome these emotions? It's because I'm faithful in the small things. It's because I'm being diligent as a husband and a father. It's because I'm trying to sleep every night. It's because I don't drink. It's because I don't smoke. It's because I don't do drugs. It's because I exercise every single day. It's because I'm outside as often as I can be. It's tr I'm trying to contribute in a philanthropic way to the things that are meaningful to myself and to my soul. You're know, like all of these little tiny things, they seem so useless until you're hurting. And then you're like, man, I can handle this. So this ounce of prevention similar to in that moment of, of fear, in that worst moment of your life, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna rise to the occasion, I'm gonna fall to my level of training. Like on the mental health side, I argue that it's all of the little things that you do all the time that build up to your resilience and mental health. Like the healthier you are, the less depressed I am, the less fat I am, the less depressed I am, the better sleep I get, the less depressed I am, you know, the less I drink, which is literally a depressant, the less depressed I am. Um, the more I have sex, the more I exercise, the less depressed I am. And when you start compounding those things, you know, when you start stacking those things, we're talking like a pretty significant contrast from where I could be to where I am every day. Mm. And I'm not saying I have the worst demons. And I'm not going to compare other people that have struggles, you know, having people that have committed suicide in their own life. Um, but I know what I have to do to stay healthy. And I'm just going to beg and implore other people to take that same discipline and habit mm. so that they don't get there to have to make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Powerful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Tim. I feel like we need more people like you spreading this kind of message. There's a lot. There's a lot. I There's think a lot. more now than there have been in 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, like the Jockos and the yep. Joes and the Camerons and the Goggins, yep. the Mike Glovers, like the list just goes Andy Stumpf, For sure. um, yep. Peter, like the list goes on and on and on and on and mm. on. And uh, I think the pendulum has swung too far in one direction and now yep. it's coming back towards yep. sanity. That's the hope. That's, That's what I hope hell. for. Where can people find you online? Where can people learn more about your message? Oh, online. Yeah, we'll dunk on social media. Use social media to connect. Do not make social media your life. Um, 
uh, it's Tim Kennedy MMA for all the things, but uh, it's a form of connection to, to to connect with people, but no other thing than that. Right. So right. make sure. I always hate plugging social media because I think it's it's a detriment to most yeah. people. Are you going to keep the MMA.com as well, or do you, do you think you'll eventually? So, so there's a congressman, Tim Kennedy, uh, and there's a and uh, and then there's a, a hockey player. A former professional NHL hockey player. God. Between the two, the three of us, we own TimKennedy.com or yeah. Tim Kennedy. We all own different versions of that. Right, right. So you position yourself as. Yeah. Got it. Powerful. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll check out the book, Scars and Stripes, as well. Um, Tim Kennedy. Thanks, Thanks so much, much for coming on. Appreciate, appreciate you. you. Yeah.